this is Kathy Griffin. You're listening to PF Tape Recorder. I'm P.F. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Dave Stone wanted to move from Atlanta to Los Angeles, but didn't know how he would afford it. I was renting a, a, a room in a buddy's house, and I just had this small little bedroom. So for whatever reason, like it was a normal sized room, but I only spent I spent all my time in like this 50 square foot area of the room. I just I just had the thought, like, man, this mattress, this chair, and this table could all fit inside of a van. Why don't I just get a van and live in that side? We'll hear more about that story from Dave in just a little bit, plus some other fascinating anecdotes. We have the song of the week coming up from The Monkees. The album came out last year. I just got a hold of it a couple of weeks ago, and uh, this was really high on people's radar last year, and rightly so. We're going to play a track from it. So uh, we'll get to that as well at the end of the show. But first, of course, a couple of dumb bits. First, there was Vanilla Coke. Then, Pepsi jumped on the bandwagon with Pepsi Vanilla. And now, Pepsi is trying to rip off Coke in an even bigger way. Introducing Pepsi Coke. It's Pepsi with the flavor of Coke. Mmm, I haven't had Pepsi this good since the last time I had a Coke. That's because the can says Pepsi, but the taste says Coke. Wow, Pepsi Coke is awesome. See, some 20-something gulped it down and said it was awesome, so it's gotta be good. And it comes in every possible variety. There's Diet Pepsi Coke 1, Caffeine-Free Pepsi Coke, Caffeine-Free Diet Pepsi Coke, Cherry Pepsi Coke, Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue, and Caffeine-Free Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue with Caffeine. Wow, I had no idea the taste of all my favorite Pepsi flavors would taste better with a taste of Coke. Take the Pepsi Coke taste test today and see if you can tell if you're tasting Pepsi or Coke or both. Pepsi Coke. It's the Pepsi name you know with the taste of Coke you love. How many times has this happened to you? I'll be back in a minute. I'm going to the restroom. Hmm. Flounders or snappers? Ooh. Let's try snappers. Ooh, sorry, wrong door. If you're a guy or girl on the go, then you know theme restaurant bathroom designations can be misleading. But now you don't ever have to be confused again because you've got the Restroom Thesaurus. The Restroom Thesaurus lists every possible combination of male-female euphemism. Blokes and birds, bantams and hands, shoots and ladders, bobsleds and moguls, endomorphs and gonocomorphs. Yes, the Restroom Thesaurus is your one-stop source for avoiding embarrassing entrances into the wrong bathroom. Seafood restaurants. Oh, let's see. Buoys and gulls, bulkheads and portholes, hornpipes and shanties. Oh, here we go. Flounders are men. All right. Never walk into the wrong restroom again with the Restroom Thesaurus because you don't want to take a shot in the dark. Dave Stone's a stand-up comedian from Los Angeles, California, but he used to live in Atlanta. How he got from Atlanta to Los Angeles is a fascinating story, and here now is our interview with Dave Stone. Well, um, you've got an interesting backstory, and I know we've never spoken before, so it's always good to talk to somebody new. So I guess you're from yeah. you're, you're from Hotlanta originally. Are you originally originally from Hotlanta, or did you relocate there from somewhere else? I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, my family moved to uh, kind of the Atlanta 
suburbs when I was a child. But, okay. Uh, I spent most most of my teen and adult years until recently in Atlanta. So you're like a Falcons, Braves, uh, Hawks supporter? Absolutely. There you go. All right. Yeah, I was just, uh, in my day job, I was uh, I had to do a bunch of interviews for this uh, conference we're having, and um, a couple of people are actually located in Atlanta at different companies. And, and I've always liked Atlanta. I haven't gotten to spend enough time there, but people always give Atlanta this really bad rep. But whenever I've gotten off the freeway to eat or get gas, everyone's super nice. If you have to, you know, get into a lane somewhere because you made a mistake, people are super nice. They'll offer you directions. I have never had a problem in Atlanta. I'm afraid whenever I oh, tell yeah, that, Atlanta. yeah, when I'm afraid when I tell that to somebody, though, someone's gonna next time I go down, they'll be like, someone will be a dick. But so far, so good. <laughs> After 50 years, yeah, Atlanta's I, great. Yeah, it's a nice town. So, um. I guess we'll start with the boilerplate since we really haven't uh, spoken with you before. Were you was comedy something you always wanted to do, or were you always the funny guy and your friends said you should be on a stage somewhere? Or how did that interest in comedy develop? Yeah, I've always uh, I've always been interested in comedy, and I've always been the funny guy in my group of friends. Uh, not to be confused with the class clown. A lot of people think right. comedians were always the class clown. I w- I wouldn't say I was the class clown, but I was. You know, most comedians uh, are the, instead of the class clown, they're the guy, you know, sitting quietly in the corner just observing everything and then making, you know, well-thought-out comments rather than just, right. you know, ridiculous, you know, craving of attention. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. When I was a teenager, I, I kind of started noticing, like, you know, I am I'm the funniest guy in my group of friends or whatever. And I've uh, always been a fan of stand-up and I actually tried to do I wanted to get into stand-up when I was about 20. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I was working in radio. I was a radio DJ. Uh, moved around, worked several different cities and stations. But uh, in the back of my mind, I, what I really wanted to do was stand-up. And I would actually go, I would write jokes, I would go to open mics, sign my name up, and I remember three times specifically, they would call my name, and I would just sit and stand in the back of the room and wouldn't wouldn't come forward. And then they would just be like, well, I guess Dave Stone's not here anymore. Moving on to the next name. I just didn't have the nerve to get up on stage at 20. And then I just put it out of my head for years. And then uh, when I was 29, I guess I was going through sort of a quarter-life crisis, if you will. You know, I was working a a job I didn't really care about and just wasn't really doing what I wanted to do with my life. And I was knocking on the door of 30, and I was like, man, i got to. I got to finally try this, and uh, from the very first time, it was just game on. It was like, all right, I know this is something I'm going to be doing for the rest of my uh, feasible life. So, uh, yeah, it's just been uh, just pedal to the metal ever since. So, how did you get into broadcasting? Uh, that's just also something I wanted to do. Uh, I went to broadcasting school. I uh, I dropped out of college after a year and a half because I, you know, like a lot of college students, I just, I had no idea what I wanted to pursue. And without really deciding on a major, I just, you know, my dumb 19-year-old brain was like, well, this is pointless if I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And um, a buddy of mine told me about a broadcasting school. And uh, I was like, man, that, that sounds cool. And uh, so I went to broadcasting school for about a year and then uh, got hired on at a real small station in Cumming, Georgia. And uh, from there, I worked in broadcasting about six years. Oh, wow. I moved. Uh, I moved seven or eight times in six years because it's such an odd industry. You know, well now it's almost a dead industry. But right. back then, you know, you'd move around. You'd work one job for six to twelve months until you got a you know enough experience to maybe take that next little step, and then you move to a different city, to a bigger market, bigger station, and so on and so on. So that's uh, that's kind of what I did. 
So, uh, do you have a podcast now, then? Yeah, it's that two podcasts. There um, you go. I have one that's, um, not to brag, but it's fairly popular, uh, mainly because my partner is, uh, it's got a huge fan base, uh, myself and a guy named Kyle Kinane. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've talked to Kyle before. Him. Very, yeah, yeah, very yeah. popular comedian. Yes. One of them. I mean, we're, we're obviously close buddies, but uh, even if we weren't, he's one of my favorite comics. I just, uh, I love his style of comedy and his whole thing, and um, we've been buddies for years, and about a year ago, he just said, you know, hey, we should start a podcast because uh, one of the uh, one of our common uh, bosses, we both are big into like cryptozoology and, and paranormal stuff. So, oh, uh, uh, it's called the boogie. Yeah, it's called the boogie monster, and we we talk about Bigfoot, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, okay. that kind of stuff. Now, do you know Ryan Singer? Of course, Ryan Singer is my roommate. I no shit, yeah, he's from he's yeah, from Dayton, one, right one up the road. Friend. Yeah, yeah, he's from. <laughs> He's from Dayton, right up the road where uh, where we live. In fact, yeah. I, used to, I used to work in the suburb that he is from in Kettering, Ohio, for a year for uh, okay. a company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Ryan. Uh, he's been on great, he's been on this show a couple of so, times. Yeah, I, and Ryan obviously you may have mentioned, brought that up because Ryan has a great podcast, you yes. know, along a similar vein. And uh, we like to say that uh, Ryan is the fog rod to our pork rinds. Like we're we're doing kind of the same thing, but Ryan. Huh. Ryan's is a little more polished, and he puts a little more effort into the research. Where yeah. me and Kyle come at it from just like two drunk dudes at a bar, bullshit about Bigfoot. You that's, know? Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, because Ryan's been in that stuff for years. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, and Ryan in. tends his his tend leans a little more on like uh, the the new age spirituality side. Right. A lot of a lot of astrology and crystals. Right. Where, uh, yeah, yeah. Kyle and I is just basically Bigfoot and UFOs. That's really what <laughs> the meat and potatoes of our content. So now, I have uh, I have that one, and then I have a second podcast oh, yeah. they do. It's a music podcast called The Gravy Boat. Oh, cool! And uh, that's where I just—it's kind of like a radio show, uh, but it focuses on uh, alt country music. Oh, uh, nice! Kind of you know outlaw country, alternative country, whatever you want to call it. Just a brand of country that I'm a big fan of that just doesn't get any recognition. And uh, so. Uh, Every week I'll do uh, just exactly one hour of programming. I'll play about 10 or 11 songs, and it's just like listening to an hour of, of a radio station that plays that type of music. Oh, so, that's uh, cool. Uh, yeah. You, are you a fan of Lindy Ortega? I don't. I can't say I'm familiar. Oh, you should check her out. She's um, from, okay. from Toronto, moved to Nashville, kind of an alt country. They describe her as kind of like goth country, but I think that's ridiculous. She she just she uh-huh. dresses a little bit in black, but that, she looks like she came from an old cowboy movie. She doesn't look goth. Gotcha. So, but she's uh, she's okay. really good. Do check her out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely will. I'm always looking for and, new artists in that, you know, like, that genre of people to play. Uh, Maren Morris, I like a lot. Um, but she's okay. And then uh, she's she I guess made some uh, some uh, some had some success writing for Tim McGraw and people like that. Uh, the guy I work for now at my day job, he likes exactly three guys: um, Jason Aldean, Eric Church, and one other guy, and that's it. That's all he likes. I try to like, I'm not, yeah. a, and I'm not a big country guy, but I'm like, well, I do, I do like, you know, I have a couple country artists on my iPod. I like, and I sent him links to Lindy Ortega, Marin Morrison. No time, zero time yeah. for that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's the case with a lot of people. Like, uh, they, they only, you know, people are in the country. It's just whatever's being fed to them on mainstream radio or yeah, TV or whatever. Well, he took us and all I to really see. Most of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. He took us to see Jason Aldean. It was a company outing. And I'm watching uh-huh. it, and, and me and the other writer uh, are, are kind of being dicks with the crowd, saying, when are I going to shout, build that wall? And you know, just being real jerky about that, because we'd had a few. Yeah. 
because he bought us beer. So <laughs> yeah. what else are we gonna do? But anyway, so I'm thinking like, why? It was Eric Church, I think we actually saw. I'm sorry, it was Eric Church. I'm like, I don't know why I don't because I love. I'm thinking it's the singer too twangy. And I go, well, that can't be because Dwight Yoakam's way more twangy, and I love Dwight Yoakam. And I just could not put my finger on why it would not take. And hmm. uh, so, I don't know. This is a strange one. Um, and also, being from Atlanta, do you know another former Atlanta resident uh, who's now in Los Angeles, April Richardson? I do. I do know April, yeah. Okay. Well, um, we've, uh, we've done several shows together out here. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah we're friendly with her. I knew her before I knew that she was a former Atlanta resident. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't think she's uh and it happens sometimes. I don't think she started comedy in Atlanta. No. So um no, no, you know, she... there's a few people out here that are from Atlanta but they moved out here before they started right. doing comedy. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. it takes a while to make that connection. But uh yeah, yeah, okay. I know April. Yeah. So when you moved out to uh, this is a fascinating story, when you moved out finally to California, uh you had kind of a plan uh to where you wouldn't have to pay a lot of money for rent. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that wasn't the initial plan. The initial plan was just to move out here the traditional way and get an apartment and whatever I had to do. But uh, at the time, right before I moved, I was a full-time comic, um, but not quite a headliner. Uh, and not to bore you with, like, the hierarchy of stand-up, but, like, I, at the time I was what was called a, a middle or a feature act. Right. Where uh, in a comedy club, yep. you know, I, I would go up right before the headliner and I'd do 20 to 30 minutes and... I was doing that all over the country full time, but it didn't, you know, it didn't pay a whole lot. It paid just enough to kind of, you know, make it worth the trip out to wherever you're going. Um, so I just, long story short, I just couldn't save up the, the right amount of money that it takes to make a cross country move to one of the most expensive cities in, in the country. And, uh, so for about a year, year and a half, I kept trying, you know, I had this plan of like, I'm going to save money. I'm going to get out there. And, you know, my deadlines would come and go, and I was still broke. And uh, so one day it just hit me. It's like, all right, I'll just uh, – I mean, the actual story goes I was written in a, a room in a buddy's house, and I just had this small little bedroom. And it was a normal-sized bedroom, but for whatever reason, I spent – all my all my time was spent in this one little corner of the bedroom. I had, like, a mattress on the floor that was pushed up against the, the wall. And right next to the mattress, I had a small little chair. And right in front of that, I had like a miniature coffee table that I put my laptop on. So for whatever reason, like it was a normal sized room, but I only spent, I spent all my time in like this 50 square foot area of the room. And one day I'm just sitting there, you know, pondering my situation and how am I going to get to LA? And it just hit me. I just, I just had this thought like, man, this mattress, this chair and this table could all fit inside of a van. Why don't I just get a van and live in that? And uh, that, that's where that idea came from. And I bought a an old uh, work van, a Ford cargo van, and I spent about a month kind of uh, remodeling the inside and turning it into like a little mobile apartment. I built a bed frame and built some cabinets and uh, the whole nine yards. And then uh, that was my home food. And it was supposed to be about a six or nine month experiment. I thought, you know, well, in less than a year, I should be able to get on my feet and get a nice place out there. And, um, as things go, you know, not always according to plan, uh, six months turned into two and a half years. So, <laughs> so how many square foot was the van? I think I calculated it. I think it was about 52 feet, 52 square feet or 56 square feet. It was about, about five and a half feet by nine feet long. So, uh, and then, you know, minus the, the, the cab and all that. So it was pretty tight quarters, but I made it work. You know, I had just enough room to have a bed installed width wise across the wheel well. I'm uh, I'm only five nine, so if, I, if you know anybody six foot or taller would have had to gone lengthwise, and okay. uh, I didn't want to put the bed lengthwise because that would have taken up too much space. Oh yeah. So I had the bed I had the bed going across the wheel wells in the back, 
and uh, had had cabinets and every everything I needed a cooler, a little chair, so no electricity or anything. But right. uh, it, you know, it, it served its purpose. It, it wasn't always easy, but it definitely was functional. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds cool. Um, I'm sure you could have like siphoned off electricity from someplace at some point. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people who live in RVs or vans will get what's called a, a deep cycle battery. It's a it's a secondary battery that you can install. Um, that way you can run small appliances and stuff and, and not pull juice from your actual car battery. Um, and that was also the plan, but I think to get all that installed was like 500 bucks. And, you know, as a touring comic, I literally was just living week to week, day to day, and I just never... I just never made uh, made room to have the budget to, to get some of the amenities that I, that I would have liked in the van. So you mostly drove that to gigs, like out west? Yeah, I mean, I lived in it, and then uh, I tour a lot. So that was also part of the logic was, you know, I I go out on these month-long or six- or eight-week-long tours uh, several times a year. Uh, kind of my routine now is I'll spend about a about two months in LA and a month on the road and two months in LA and a month on the road so that's that's kind of been roughly my schedule uh, for about the last six years so that was also my logic was like well I'm not going to be in LA all the time and I don't want to pay overpriced rent if I'm going to be gone a third of the year or whatever oh, so yeah. um, so I used the van I did use the van you know I would live in it in LA and then I used it you know as a touring vehicle when I was on the road and so you're finally selling it no, um, I I lived in it for two and a half years, and then I was able to uh, get a, an apartment. I had um, I, uh, I had a little bit of luck with some showbiz stuff. I got cast in a documentary, and it paid me oh, some wow. money and whatnot. So I got a I got an apartment for a while and uh, kept the the van and continued to tour in it. When I would go out of town on these long tours, I would. Uh, I would just get back to my roots and live in it and tour in it when I was on the road. Oh, okay. And about a year and a half, yeah, about a year and a half ago, I was in Athens, Georgia, on tour, and uh, about midnight after a show, and I get hit head on by a drunk driver oh. going the wrong direction, oh. and uh, to- totaled the van. Right, I was banged up a little bit, but it was more of an emotional damage because uh, the van was just completely totaled. Wow! All that and, uh, looking back and. When I got out of the van and I was just checking everything, make sure I was okay, and then I turned around and looked and saw the damage and just oh, oh all that sentimental value just down the drain, and it was, it was pretty heartbreaking. So wow. scary. Yeah, the van, uh, the van, no, no more. It, it died. It died a uh, tragic death. But oh, at least that's I was sad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I reckon you could probably be on like uh, one of those tiny house hunter shows, or would you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely could. Uh, I've definitely got experience in living in tight spaces. So. Uh, so you're going to be at the Woodward Theater here in Cincinnati, and then also uh, a couple days later helping them celebrate the anniversary of the MOTR show uh, there downtown at uh, at the bar there where they do a comedy show um, uh, one Tuesday a month. So how did you get uh, mixed up in, with that situation? Do you know like Mark and them? And um, I had done some shows in Cincinnati a couple of years ago. I did, uh, I think I did the Motors, the Motor Lodge, the Motor, Motor Lounge. Yeah, it's a, it's a bar downtown. Okay, yeah, I, I did that I did that venue about two years ago. And um, when I was scheduling this current tour, uh, you know, I was definitely trying to hit up a lot of Midwest cities. And I just reached out to uh, Carl, is, is my oh, contact right. there. Carl, okay. Carl Space is also yeah. uh, a good comedian in his own right. Yep. Um, but he's the one that kind of hooked me up with it, so uh, yeah. 
So, yeah, and I, I don't think I'm going to be doing the one at the Motor Lodge this time. I've just been down on the 7th to do okay. the Woodward Theater. Okay. Yeah. That, that's part of the celebration, too, though, I think. is the Okay, yeah. Sub- yeah, okay. Well, terrific. So what kind of stuff are you talking about on stage these days? I mean, most of my stuff is autobiographical. I don't really do, uh, you know, I would say I'm a little bit of a storyteller. I don't do one-liners. I don't do political stuff. I don't do graphic sexual stuff. You know, most of it's just kind of autobiographical stuff. And, you know, I'm fortunate in the fact that I had quite a bit of uh, life experience before I even started stand-up, you know, starting later than most at 29. A lot of of comics will start in their early 20s or whatever, like I tried to do. Um, So anyway, just a lot of just life stories and experiences and autobiographical stuff. And some of it's pretty silly and innocuous. You know, I'll tend to get a little silly sometimes, but I definitely try not to... uh, I don't know, there seems to be a trend nowadays with socially conscious comedy, and that's fine, but, like, I don't know. I, I, it's just not in me to be, you know, up there preaching about social issues or political issues or whatever. I mean, I, I feel like people go to a comedy show to kind of escape some of the realities of life, and uh, so to, to bang them over the head with my political agenda or social issues is just not my style. So yeah. I try to keep it light and keep it silly and uh, uh, somewhat autobiographical. Well, yeah, like if you're connected to that stuff and you're really following it, then yeah, you can probably make it funny. But yeah, if it's just something you're kind of, you know, just spouting your opinion about, it's probably a, a whole different thing. Uh, yeah. Do you feel that you know, since you like you said, since you started later, that you know you uh, you felt more comfortable with kind of some of the things you were talking about? Because a lot of the younger guys and gals I talked to, they say you know when they were they were starting out at least. Uh, it was just partying and drinking because that's all they knew. They didn't know about being in relationships yeah. <laughs> or having jobs or any of that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, and I think about that sometimes like, oh, I wish I would have started when I set out to at 20. But at 20 years old, I didn't have anything to say. You know, I, I had nothing, nothing to draw from. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a little more comfortable for me now as an older dude to kind of go up there and kind of wax poetic on some wisdom and <laughs> some, some more life issues. But, uh, yeah, it's, and a lot of my stuff is rooted in self-deprecation. I uh, I don't trust the comic who can't laugh at themselves first. You know, if you if you can't laugh at yourself, how's anybody else supposed to, to laugh at what you're talking about? So uh, yeah. I definitely try not to take myself too seriously. That seems to be kind of an epidemic nowadays with some comics just taking themselves too seriously, mixed with you know, are you are you an activist or are you a comedian? You know, oh, and like I said, yeah. it's, it's fine if, if that's what you're passionate about about social issues or political stuff, but. Some comics now, it seems like the goal is to just drive home their agenda rather than to get a laugh. And uh, to me, I'm just I'm just up there to try to make people laugh and have a good time. Yeah, well, the funny's got to come first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. And I guess as you're getting older, too, what's nice is that, you know, since you're kind of in that vein anyway, as new experiences present themselves, that probably, you know, provides a wealth of material where some people, like you said, if you're, you're doing political stuff, even though things change in the world, we maybe kind of run out of that kind of stuff because it starts to become kind of the same thing. True, true. Yeah, you got to. Um, yeah, there's a saying: you got to live a life worth commenting on. You know, so um, yeah, any any life experience now, anything I do, you know, on a weekly basis or whatever, you know, the antenna is always up. You know, any any new experience is always uh, potential for material. Terrific. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Um, this will be uh, in print in the calendar section of City Beat uh, next week. And then, of course, we'll run the okay. podcast uh, probably a week from Sunday. And so we can also get folks cool. you know, around the country 
interested. And what are the names of the two podcasts again, so people can check those out? Yeah, uh, The Boogie Monster. Uh, that's Myself right. Myself and Kyle Kinane. That's on iTunes every Tuesday. And then uh, the other one is on SoundCloud. It's called the Gravy, or Dave Stone's Gravy Boat. So wait, wait, wait let me ask you a question here. Hold on. You're on SoundCloud. Yeah. How, how, do you, how do you play songs on SoundCloud without them taking you down because of copyright rules? Because I play clips from this show on SoundCloud. My, my daughter and I, Fangirl, do a thing called Crime Song Investigation, where we play two songs that sound alike. And SoundCloud went and took them all down and said, these are violating copyright. I'm like, yeah, but this is fair use because it's, we're doing something funny with it, and we're also cr- commenting on it critically. That's allowed under fair use. And they're like, F you, talk to your lawyer. So I'm like, F you, SoundCloud, I'm not using it anymore. But how do you get around that? That's Well, that's a great question. Uh, that's the reason why I didn't put it on iTunes for that exact oh. reason. I felt like I could fly under the radar a little oh, no. a little more on SoundCloud. So maybe huh. maybe we might even edit this part out. I, yeah, I think it will be. Yeah. <laughs> all right, that's cool. But yeah, I'm sure I am violating all type of copyright law. The way I ethically justify it is uh, with Gravy Boat, I have zero intentions of ever selling ad space. Yeah. Like I, I won't, uh, I intentionally will not any ad because I'm not trying to profit off of musicians' art. Right. Uh, to me, it's more just like a radio thing or a playlist thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm sure as soon as SoundCloud gets wind of it, I'm sure I'll probably have the same problem. Huh. But that's why I intentionally kept it off of iTunes, kind of keep it a little lower profile. Oh uh, yeah, because on iTunes, like in the in our podcast, we can still play. And my buddy Pat Francis, my buddy, I know him like over the internet, but we're friendly. Um, you know, mm-hmm. his his um, they'll play songs on their pod, but they only plays uh, ninety seconds. Now the rule of thumb for fair use is forty seconds, but I like his reasoning. He said, "Well, look, if if iTunes and Amazon can play you a ninety second clip of a song, I can play a ninety second clip of a song." So I'm like, "That's good yeah. enough for me." So that's what I do. At the end of our show, we have the song of the week, and I'll play a ninety second clip of what you know my favorite song is that week. But and with you, I guess it's more like a college radio thing. You're exposing artists that probably aren't getting a lot of airplay anywhere else anyway. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. I don't I don't know if uh, SoundCloud would be it that way, but uh, well, yeah, I haven't had any issues. Uh, that's the way I justified as far as you know, uh, an artist or something. You know, hey, why yeah, are yeah. you, you know, why are you playing? I said, well, you're not getting airplay anywhere else. Plus, I honestly have zero intentions of making money off of this. It's just yeah. something fun to do, right. trying to expose some of these songs to a wider audience. Exactly, and quite honestly, people can go to Spotify and hear it for free, for God's sake. So Yeah, sure. All right. Well, cool, man. Great talking to you. This is a lot of fun. Um, and uh, and we'll uh, see you in town here soon, I guess. Yeah, sounds good, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks. All right, bye-bye. All right, take care. Thanks again to Dave Stone for being on the show. You can catch Dave, I'm not sure where. All I know is he's doing a show tonight in Cincinnati as I'm recording this. And then uh, coming up, his dates are all blank on his website. But you can go to DaveStoneStandup.com and hopefully he'll be updating that list soon. I would imagine that means he's busy in Los Angeles doing some things with all the uh, different uh, things he has going, as it were. Uh, if you go to his website, too, if you go to the homepage, you will see a picture of him sitting in his van that he was talking about, uh, uh, the one he used to live in before uh, he got an apartment there in California, and that they kept uh, while, he, while he toured the country a little bit until, of course, it was wrecked. So you can check that out at DaveStoneStandup.com. Uh, we're going to get to the song of the week now. It's from The Monkees. Uh, album came out last year, and our friend Pat Francis uh, was just raving about it, and I finally got around to listening to it, and boy, he was right. What they did was, they did, they did in the old days, they had a bunch of people write songs for them, but they also wrote some themselves. 
and it's a nice little collection. The one that really stood out for me when I listened to it was the one written by Ben Gibbard. Ben Gibbard, of course, off of Death Cab for Cutie, and you will hear Death Cab for Cutie kind of uh, all over this in a way, but also sounds very much like the monkeys. It's uh, really cool. It's called Me and Magdalena, and I believe it is sung by Mike Nesmith, uh, unusual lead vocal for him. But uh, I think it's one of the best tracks on the album. The whole album is great, but uh, this is The Monkees. Me and Magdalena, it's our track of the week, or song of the week, if you will, on PS Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. Like she's under